What does Jesus want me to say in a few minutes on a stage in front of the president and the first lady and the vice president and Hillary Clinton was right in front of me in one of the front tables? And what do you say? When the Holy Spirit speaks through someone, he's speaking to everybody. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of First Person with today's guest, Eric Metaxas. I'm Wayne Shepherd. It's great to have you join us today for the conversation with Eric. If you haven't done so already, I hope you'll visit firstpersoninterview.com for our schedule and additional information each week. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Bookmark the site and check back each week for updates. You'll also find us on Facebook, and you can follow our posts and the comments of our listeners there online at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Author and speaker Eric Metaxas joined us last year here on the program to tell his story of conversion. That program is available in our online archive. But there was more I wanted to talk to Eric about, so I called him recently. And our conversation took place just a few days before the homegoing of Chuck Colson. As a matter of fact, Eric was at a conference with Chuck when he fell ill. When we talked, Eric had just started to be the fill-in host for the widely heard Breakpoint commentary series. So it was apparent that Chuck Colson would soon be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I began by asking Eric to reflect on the influence of his hero. I think Chuck Colson, the reason he's been such a hero to me, is that he has helped us worship God with our minds. He's helped Christians think through what does it mean on a more intellectual level to be a Christian, not just to say, I've got this personal faith, but so what? You've got this personal faith. What does that mean for everything, for your worldview? How do you see culture? How do you, how do you take your faith into the public square? What does it mean for you about who you'd vote for, what movies you watch? Or what, I mean, to do that is the important work of worshiping God with our minds. Mm-hmm. And I think that there haven't been too many Christian figures uh, like Chuck who have really helped us. And so to me, uh, what he has done over the years, uh, yeah, I, I don't know quite where I would be without his um, uh, being able to sort of model myself to some extent on him. He's just been a great role model for so many Christians. There are thinkers and there are those who take action. He does both, doesn't he? Well, yeah, I think that that's uh, another thing that I have loved about him is that, that he doesn't just say, well, this is what we need to think. And this is talking about Bonhoeffer over the last couple of years. I, I always talk about how Bonhoeffer uh, wanted to know what does my Christian faith mean intellectually, and then what does that mean in terms of how I live? And the two can never be separated. Jesus doesn't want us to just worship him with our minds. He wants us to worship him with our whole lives and our whole actions, and all, all those things go together. And Chuck has been a hero um, most recently with the Manhattan Declaration. If the listeners right now don't know about that, go to ManhattanDeclaration.org. Uh, ManhattanDeclaration.org is a, uh, it's a website. There is a, um, well, the Manhattan Declaration talks about what it means to have religious freedom today and how our religious freedoms are being eroded and actually attacked, uh, what that means and how we Christians need to, to be aware of that and must stand up if that is happening and must do something about it. We can't just let it happen. That's what happened to the Church in Germany in the 1930s. They allowed the, the, the government, in that case, was the National Socialists, but they didn't advertise themselves as evil. They just thought, hey, we're trying to help Germany in these ways, and they ruled the Church over marginalize the church, and we cannot let that happen again. And it will happen again unless we're aware of it, unless we're 
um, unless we're wise to it, unless we listen to prophetic voices like Chuck's and Bonhoeffer's from another time warning us about what will happen. So yeah, Chuck has, he's always been big on that. It seems like each generation has someone like that to look up to. I think of Francis Schaeffer. You speak of Bonhoeffer, of course, although I don't know if he was really recognized at the time of his life the way he is now, largely because of your book. But it seems like God has those those prophets, in a, in a sense, uh, for us. Are you comfortable with that kind of role? Well, I think that we all do what the Lord calls us to do, or at least that's what we all ought to want to do. And I think, you know, in God's economy, each of us is different. There'll never be another Chuck Colson, never be another Francis Schaeffer, never be another William Wilberforce, and there'll never be another Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And who's ever listening, there'll never be another you. We need to know that God creates each of us absolutely differently and uniquely, and we have to try to figure out what is God calling me to do. And the only way you can do that is having a personal relationship with Him and constantly be asking Him uh, to guide you uh, into what He has for you. The Lord has recently been guiding me uh, into some new areas. The National Prayer Breakfast was the first time I've ever spoken on a, on a national stage quite like that. And whatever God has for me, uh, I pray that I'm not just comfortable with it, but that I rejoice in it, and I uh, do do my best to to uh, live up to what He's put me uh, uh, in a place to do. Let's talk about that National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, I think the ripples are still going out from that uh, that pond, so to speak, and uh, that was quite an experience. Right, and it, just as we're broadcasting this, the, the folks at home, I think, will be able to. We 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 are publishing the speech as an e-book. It'll actually come out as a as a as a print book soon. But Thomas Nelson, uh, which published. Um, my uh, Bonhoeffer book uh, wanted to publish the speech. So many people kept asking for transcripts of it. So not only is it the speech, but I've annotated it, which is to say I've made uh, footnotes and commentary about different parts of the speech because there's you know, a lot of weird jokes that don't make sense unless somebody explains them. So that would be me. But then I've written a, a pretty long 10,000-word essay, which is gonna, it's being packaged with this, where I describe the experience, the whole experience of being invited to do this and what it was like and how I prepared for it and what happened the day of. And it's actually really a very funny and interesting story. So I said, I've got to write this down and we'll, um, you know, we'll sell it together as one ebook. I think it's priced ridiculously cheaply because we want everybody on the planet to, to download it. But, uh, yeah, the, the National Prayer Breakfast was a, it was a huge, shock, first of all, for me to be invited. I I say in this essay that I didn't even believe it. I was reading the, the invitation, and I did not believe what my eyes were, or my eyes were not able to take it in. I'd said something about, we'd like you to be the keynote speaker, and I, I thought, surely this is a mistake. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I really thought there's a mistake here, and if I read it more carefully, I'll find out that they want me to you know, read a scripture before the keynote speaker or, or something that, that uh, <laughs> truly the keynote speaker will be Tim Tebow, and I'll get to meet Tebow if I'm up on the stage or so, something like that. Or maybe they met M. Texas down in uh, in Texas or something instead or of a Texas. Some, huh? yeah. Something <laughs> like that. It had to be something different than what I, my eyes were trying to read. But, no, I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted, buffaloed, stymied, uh, you can put in your verb. I was amazed. Um, and... Uh, realize that this, there's sometimes cases where you know this is Jesus, that Jesus has uh, graciously given me this opportunity, and he will speak. If he gave me this opportunity, he has something he wants to say, and all I have to do is ask him to help me to say it. 
And I, I believe, by God's grace, that is what happened. I cannot take too much credit. Many have made the comparison to what Mother Teresa said during Bill Clinton's presidency when he sat there and listened to what she said. Uh, were you conscious that you would be speaking with the president sitting off to one side? Oh, of course. Absolutely. And, and you know, the funny thing is, and again, I say this in this in this ebook essay, that over the years, whenever anybody mentions the National Prayer Breakfast, or whenever anybody thinks of it, the first thing that pops into people's minds, the first thing that pops out of people's mouths is, did you, you know, did you see the Mother Teresa speech? Were you there in 94 or 96, whenever it was, when, when Mother Teresa spoke? She set the standard, and that was definitely in my mind. I thought, it, 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 does, does the Lord want me to say something prophetic and bold? What, what does God want me to say? And uh, I'm no Mother Teresa. You, you probably didn't know that, Wayne, but I'm not. And uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little taller than, than she is, a little less wizened so yeah, far. Yeah, uh-huh. and, uh, there are other dissimilarities, too, yeah. Yeah, there are tons. And I said, I've got to say what the Lord wants me to say. But I was inspired because I thought, you know, you get one shot to say. It's kind of like somebody puts a gun to your head and says, okay, what do you have to say, pal? Well, that's the question. What, you know, what does Jesus want me to say in a few minutes on a stage in front of the president and the first lady and the vice president and Hillary Clinton was right in front of me in one of the front tables and Nancy Pelosi to my left. What do, you, what do you say to them? And not just to them, but to all of the assembled Christians there. What do you say? What do you say to everybody? I mean, when the Holy Spirit speaks through some someone, he's speaking to everybody. It's not just a message delivered to so-and-so. You know, it's, to, it's sort of to everybody. And I really... Uh, I prayed for months about it, uh, what what would the Lord want me to say, and I didn't know, honestly, uh, until about two days before, which is, sounds a little shocking, but I kind of tell that story in this uh, in this essay. It's, uh, it's kind of a strange and amazing story how it all came together. Well, I wasn't in the room. I was watching on television, and I my breath just, I mean, I caught my breath when you said Jesus was and is the enemy of dead religion. I mean, that stopped me in my tracks. What effect did it have in the room? Well, you know, I think sometimes when, when, I'm, when I'm speaking, um, I go out of my way not to pay too much attention to how people are reacting. I try to, I try to stay faithful to what I'm saying because I can get thrown if I'm, if I'm thinking about what people are thinking too much. I just feel like I have to say what I say and just keep saying it. And so I, I don't know... Um, well, actually, no. In this case, however, I can tell you, and anybody who watches the video, and actually, I hope folks will watch the video. If they go to my website, just my name, ericmetaxas.com, there's, you can get the video right there, because that, what you just said, is worth watching. When I said that line, there was applause. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of applause. It's not, a, it's not an applause kind of speech. Right. But there was applause at that point, and it, it amazed me. I didn't expect that, but you could sort of feel it somehow. Uh, it was, uh, as I said, what a privilege, what a privilege. There's a link to that video at firstpersoninterview.com. More with Eric Metaxas coming up today on First Person. Next week, we'll introduce you to U.S. Senate Chaplain Barry Black. I grew up where there were prostitutes and drug pushers where domestic violence was a spectator sport. And yet, out of that toxic pathology, God brought not only me, but my seven siblings. He's U.S. Senate chaplain and has quite a life story to tell. We'll meet Admiral Barry Black next week on First Person.
My guest on First Person today is Eric Metaxas. Eric has been with us previously, although it's been a while. And Eric, we told your story, your biography, last time you are with us. And that program is still in the archive at firstpersoninterview.com. And it's on your website as well, which you mentioned is ericmetaxas.com, your conversion story. But I thought it would be good to uh, catch up with you today, particularly after the National Prayer Breakfast, where you spoke so powerfully just a, a short time ago. I, I want to know, did the uh, did the Smithsonian ask you for that suit? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, that suit, I was looking for an opportunity to wear that suit. The whole point of, uh, of the prayer breakfast was, was God's way of giving me an opportunity to wear my new suit. Uh, <laughs> I've never had a tailored suit before. I said, I've got to find a place to wear it. Uh, w- what do you got? And the Lord delivered up this uh, 3,500 people having breakfast together with the president, and that was the opportunity. So You were yeah, no, dressed. It, it was, uh, I thought if ever there were a time to, to wear that suit, you know, this might be it. Uh, it's kind of funny. It really is such an extraordinary occasion that you don't know how to, uh, you know, I've never been in the presence of a sitting president before. I had the privilege, because of the Bonhoeffer book, I got a letter, handwritten letter from George W. Bush, who loved the Bonhoeffer book, and I got to meet with him in his office in Dallas. But of course, that's after the president, that's after he was president. This was the first time I've ever met a president who actually was president. And yeah, it's an extraordinary thing. The office of the presidency is an extraordinary thing for which I have tremendous respect. And the, the, the whole, just the trappings of an event like that, I mean, the security and on and on and on and on. Uh, it, it really is nothing uh, like uh, anything I've experienced in my life. Well, anyone who's heard or watched the video of that presentation knows uh, how powerful it was. And yet you wrapped it with humor, which uh, is your style too. I mean, you had to be who you are, right? Well, I um, I don't. It's very hard for me not to joke. It's just kind of what comes out of me, and especially if I'm giving a speech, I think you know, especially when we're talking about the important things, we we should have fun because guess what? There's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. Jesus loves us, and we we ought to, we ought to be able to have fun and laugh at ourselves and 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 be real and not be hiding behind fig leaves of uh, you know our own uh, moral. Uh, acts, but but to to know that before God we're all naked, we're all equal, and He loves us. And uh, to me, that's good news. And I think it's important to joke around. But I I couldn't help joking around under any circumstances. So I don't need a theological reason. It's just who I am, and it's a way to connect. I guess I do it instinctively. But I thought if I can get the president and the first lady laughing, you know, maybe they'll listen a little more closely to to some of the stuff I have to say. And uh, it's not a calculation. It's just uh, what what I do. And so, yeah, it was, uh, I think what's always funny for me, though, is when I'm speaking to a new audience, and most of the folks there didn't know me, uh, the humor at first, I think, is off-putting. I think people think, what, what, what's he, what's he doing? He can't be joking. What is, you know, they, they, (laughs) and then like four minutes into it, I think people finally figured out, oh, 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 he's joking. Okay. He's just, prayer and humor together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I always do that. I mean, if people come to my Socrates in the city events or, or anything that they know, uh, that's what I do, and you know, there's a there's a time to joke and there's a time to be serious, and and uh, I I can't tell the difference, obviously. So that's that. Well, in all seriousness, thank you for the message you gave that day. It was powerful. It was prophetic. It's what our nation needed to hear, and and you were brave in in saying it and faithful in saying it. So thank you. What well, ha- what has happened you. since? I know there's been a huge reaction, and uh, you've become very well known because of it. Uh, but what has happened since? What is your perspective? 
Well, it, yeah, it's hard to believe, but you're quite right. This has elevated my profile such that uh, I'm amazed uh, just the hits on my website uh, and and speaking engagements and invitations and things. So suddenly, I, many people who weren't aware of my existence because of the speech, because of the prayer breakfast, they, they've, they've heard of me and they've watched it. It's been watched, I think, uh, about 250,000 times online, wow. roughly, which, again, for me, that's just astronomical. And, and, you know, the blogs lit up, people were writing about it and all that. So, so it, it really has added a whole new level to my public profile. I, I don't know quite what to say except praise the Lord, and, and I do think it's the Lord's yeah. doing. I, did, I didn't have any sense that I was saying anything brave, to be perfectly honest. I just thought, I'm just going to say, you know, what I think I'm supposed to say, what God would have me say. And I was amazed how many people were themselves amazed at what I said. I thought, why were you amazed? <laughs> you know, I just said, this is really basic Yeah, you're right. Stuff. It should be normal, shouldn't it? It's a free country. Yeah. Like, there's no snipers going to take me out for lifting up the name of Jesus. And uh, why, you know, and so I think that maybe, at least this is my prayer and my hope, is that my boldness, such as it was perceived, might encourage others to be bold. And that's, to me, what I got from Bonhoeffer. His boldness encourages me. Mother Teresa's boldness at the prayer breakfast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 18 years ago, encouraged me to be bold. And I think that boldness encourages boldness, and we need to encourage each other, and we need to understand the time is short, and we must speak the truth in love. We must do it to keep our mouths shut. I mean, it's the famous Bonhoeffer quote. It's right on my book. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. We are obliged to speak. Now, we've got to speak the truth in love. If we don't speak it in love, it ain't the truth, because the truth is a person, and he's the truth and love wrapped up together. But I really, um, I get the impression since this the prayer breakfast that a, a lot of people maybe were timid or something, and that somehow this helped embolden them uh, to, to say what needs to be said. Uh, with Chuck Colson, uh, we did a, a video, uh, there was a conference, so actually where, where he was sick, called the Breaking the Spiral of Silence um, uh, conference, and there's, there's now a DVD, it just came out, folks can go to Breaking the Spiral of Silence online, but it's this idea that as Christians we need to know what we believe and we need to speak, and if you do not speak, you're making it harder for others to speak. If you do speak, you make it easier for others to speak. This is a biblical reality, right? And so God's calling us to do that. And something about the prayer breakfast, I guess that was one of the things that what God wanted to accomplish is to use me to speak the truth about human uh, life, to speak about the unborn as persons, and, um, and also to speak about a biblical view of sexuality. But to say these things respectfully, loving our enemies, not demonizing them, um, you know, I, I just felt that this is very basic. We all know it's true, but we need to be reminded of it. That's what preaching is for. We don't hear anything new necessarily on a Sunday morning. We need to be reminded of what we say we believe, because we're sinners and we're broken, and we need reminding over and over and over again, and uh, we need to remind ourselves. So that that's part of what I think was was happening. Let's talk for a few minutes about Socrates in the City. This is something you've been doing for quite some time now. It's an incredible series in New York City, and is it going to ever expand beyond New York? Well, it has already expanded beyond New York. We have, First of all, the, the, the main thing to say is that there's a Socrates in the City book out now, because so many people around the country have asked me about Socrates in the City, and I thought, you know, 
we ought to get a book where we print transcripts of some of these unbelievable talks. We've had Chuck Colson, Oz Guinness, Francis Collins, uh, Alistair McGrath, down the line, I can't remember. These are just the most amazing apologists and thinkers, and, and they've given some spectacular speeches over 11 years. I said, let's take the best ones, put them in a book, along with my wacky introductions, which are genuinely wacky, <laughs> and uh, let's, let's do a book. So we've come out with this Socrates in the City book, um, so that folks can read it. It's been getting fantastic uh, responses, I'm very happy to say. And then um, we've, uh, by the time uh, this uh, broadcast will air, I think we will have online at the Socrates in the City website, um, it's just socratesinthecity.com, MP3s, audios of some of these talks, because we've been doing them now for 11 years. We've had just such tremendous evenings and such talks, I said, you know, we've got to record these things so that folks around the country, around the world can listen. We have just a minute left, Eric. Tell me the purpose of Socrates in the City. Well, uh, you know, Socrates in the City, um, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And as a Christian, I can say amen to that. And I thought, what if we had a speaker series here in New York where we invited some brilliant minds, we just had Dallas Willard a week ago, brilliant minds to sort of opine on the big questions of life from a biblical worldview. What would that look like? Well, we've been doing it for 11 years, and you know, we've got Peter Crave talking about, for example, how can a good God allow suffering? We have um, Francis Collins talking about uh, science and faith being compatible. Uh, we've, we've had um, Father Richard John Newhouse uh, talking about can an atheist be a good citizen? We had Paul Vitz, he's an NYU uh, psychiatry, uh, psychology professor who's a believer, talking about the importance of fatherhood, you know, the big and important questions to help people, uh, with, you know, find out what is a biblical worldview on the big question. I think a lot of times people can hear sermons or they can read Christian books, but this is a little more pre-evangelistic. It's a little bit more for everybody. You can invite your neighbor. There's not going to be an altar call or comment cards, but they've been very elegant evenings. And uh, as I say, it's just something we have been doing, and God's been using it as he as he chooses, but we've been faithful. I've, I've once called it a soup kitchen for the mind, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we neglect that there are people starving for intellectual sustenance. They get really shallow stuff, or they get really deep stuff that's really dark, but to really get fed the good food um, you know, uh, that, that God would give us of, of using our minds to worship him, that's part of how I see Socrates uh, in the city. Eric Metaxas, the author of biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, and now with the passing of Chuck Colson, a contributor to the Radio Commentary Breakpoint. There's more you need to know about Eric and the ministry God has called him to, and you'll find that information and more through links on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll learn about Eric's books, and there's also a link to the Socrates in the City series, which we spoke about today. It all starts by going online to firstpersoninterview.com. And then to interact with First Person, I hope you'll like us, as they say on Facebook. Just look us up at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. And to make certain that you never miss an interview, you can subscribe to First Person as a podcast by going to iTunes. Well, next weekend, America is observing Memorial Day, and our guest will be Admiral Barry Black, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. I hope you'll listen for his inspiring story next time. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week at this time for First Person. First Person.